Good morning, One Hope, and welcome to another Sunday of Church at Home. Um, I hope you guys are doing so well. We miss you. I can't wait to gather again soon. This morning, we come to the topic of God's will, God's specific will, and how we discern that for our own lives. But as we've been led by the Spirit in the last few weeks, we didn't really plan this series. It just feels like the scriptures we've been looking at in Romans and Acts have kind of demanded that we go where we've gone. But we've been asking the question of God. Do you really have a plan for uh, my life? And I, I see it a bit like Russian dolls. I think, you know, the big Russian doll and the smaller Russian doll that fits inside and the smallest one that goes right inside all of them. And we need to understand that the cosmic plan of God, the plan that God killed Jesus because we killed Jesus with our sin and it was necessary and how God turns that evil for good and makes beauty come out of it. And then last week, there's the slightly smaller Russian doll is that God's general will over our lives. We could spend the rest of our lives just pursuing what his word has clearly said. This is my will. This is my will for your life. And you can go and catch that if you if you missed that. But that's so powerful. It brings such relief to those of us who are waiting for this clarion voice of God and these other unbiblical ideas of how God is going to call us to this extraordinary calling. And so the small doll that we speak about today, the specific will of God really, really does fit within those two. And it is a smaller thing when we understand how God has called the whole of creation, the whole of the world to salvation as right in the beginning, Acts 2. We were speaking about how God wants everyone to come and call on his name that they would be saved. And then how he gives us this general call that we could spend the rest of our lives pursuing without reaching the end of. And only then do we come to embracing this smaller call. And I think the reason that we wrestle with this so much and why in Christian circles we see so many that, that focus so deeply on this last one, the smallest of the dolls, is because we're schooled in extraordinary lives. We're taught from a young age that we're meant to shoot the lights out and then our whole lives are curated around that idea. So we learn to blag it. To, to speak up bigger than what we are. If we're at a bri or at a party, we, we want to make out that we're somehow far more significant in our business than we are. Or, I mean, social media is just a, the, the hunting ground for this, where our holidays are more extraordinary than the other person's holiday. Our, our family and the way that we parent our children, we live these uh, uh, unbelievable lives. And, and actually, when we peel back the layers in our own hearts and the honesty of our hearts, we know that we've just got as much nonsense going on under the surface as everybody else but we're able to curate a life on social media and choose what we put out there that leaves everybody feeling like we've got to live these extraordinary purpose-filled mother Teresa, billy graham type lives and i just want to release you from that in the name of jesus this morning as we preach and I want to I want to wrestle back the biblical scale that no the big things are in, in God's mind are, 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 are the extraordinary things are that we are sanctified and that we learn to surrender to him and that we're saved and that we're filled continually with the spirit those things are of far more value than some earthly earthly plaudits or earthly people putting stickers on us and saying you're the best i mean this this even rings true in our experience i think if we're honest who who is it that we most want to be like 
Who is it in, in our circles that we most think, I want to parent like that. I want to live a life like that. It's those who've taken the time to dedicate their lives to God. And they soaked in prayer. They're not those who commit the most extraordinary, earthly, worldly acts often. It's often those who live the quiet, ordinary lives that we most admire. So let's pray together and we're going to start in the book of Acts and we're going to go quite quickly again this morning. So I encourage you, as I did last week, get a notebook, write some of the question down, questions down. This really will help you so much. If you are genuinely asking, God, I want to know what you want me to do with my life. I want to have a life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. I want to be used fruitfully in your kingdom. Then write some of this and think about it and spend some months praying and thinking through the things that we're going to speak about and that we have been speaking about in the last few weeks. Let me pray for us. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we silence our own arrogance of our hearts and say, would you speak to us, Lord? We feel like we want purpose, but we also feel like we need to engineer that and we want meaning, but we need to be special. And God, would you come and just soberly show us our place in history Would you come and help us with humility to see that we aren't all that and that we really need you to guide us. Lord, would you come and bring mind change, change our minds, change our thought patterns, change our hearts, change our actual day by day lives. God, I'm trusting that through this little series, people would take different jobs. People would sell businesses and do something different or start businesses or all sorts of things like practical outworkings would happen because of what you teach us through your word. We ask these things in the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The book of Acts in chapter 9, it's, it's telling the story of the early church. And chapter 9 really begins to highlight on a, on a man called Saul, who later becomes the apostle Paul. And this guy is persecuting the church and he thinks he's doing it for all the right reasons. He's zealous. He thinks the Christians are, are heretics. They called at this stage, the Christians are called the way. And so we pick up in verse 9, uh, chapter 9 in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way... Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, this is no empty murderous threat. Stephen has already been stoned. Others have been murdered. And Paul wants to now, he's not just satisfied that they're catching the Christians in Jerusalem. He wants to go to the other towns and get them there and bring them back in chains to Jerusalem. But he has this incredible experience, which is written about even in secular songs and secular poetry, the Damascus Road experience. And he encounters this bright light from heaven and Jesus speaking to him. And this is what happens in verse four, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Beautiful question. And he replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I want you to imagine the shock of that moment for Saul. This is the Jesus that he's saying is heresy, that he's so devoted his life to being against, that he's literally spending his time going from place to place, trying to catch these people who are talking about Jesus. And now 
He has a personal experience, a personal revelation that the Jesus he is persecuting is actually the Messiah, actually the Christ. And he realizes it straight away when he says Lord, which means master or savior. Who are you, Lord? He recognizes that this is from God and he gets the shock of his life. And in that moment, he joins the early church in being one of the way. One of the Christians, one of those who follow Christ, he is saved in that moment and his life is forever altered. And he is placed in the general will of God. God is going to sanctify him, fill him with his spirit. He's going to allow him to have much suffering. He's going to have to learn to give praise in many circumstances. These are many of the things that Paul writes, Saul, Paul writes later on in his life. But I want you to Notice this, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And we see right there the beginnings of the specific call over Paul's life. Skip down with me to verse 15, 15b, and this is what it says. And let me, let me back up a little bit there. This is the story of, of Paul is now blind. It's a few verses later. He's blinded by that bright light. God appears to Ananias, a Christian, and says, go and lay your hands on Saul and he's going to be healed. And Ananias pushes back and says, God, this is the guy we're running away from. We're not trying to have meetings with this guy. I'm not going there. This guy's he's the one. Haven't you heard? He's persecuting the church. He killed Stephen. And God replies and he said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer etc etc and you can see there the specific call of God over the life of Saul or Paul you're a chosen interest in instrument of mine and I have a specific plan you're going to carry my name before the Gentiles the kings and Israel we see this in other places in the Bible, I think notably of, of Esther, who through really, when you look at it with honest lenses, is in a, a really weird scenario where she's in the harem of a worldly king, but God has placed her there and she's anointed as or appointed as the, as the queen so that her cousin Mordecai says to her, who knows that for such a time as this, God has raised you up. And that prophetic utterance became completely true as she rescues her people the Jews. And so we see that God does have these specific calls on people's lives. But I want you to again resist the temptation to think, oh, they're the extraordinary. We must be like Saul. We must be like Esther. We must be like these extraordinary figures that the Bible pulls out. These are ordinary men and women caught up with an extraordinary God and an extraordinary Holy Spirit working in their lives to do wonderful things despite their weaknesses but the question we're asking is God how do we live meaningful lives of fruitful service for you and I want to make the point right up front that this is within his church it's also within the marketplace and it's also within the home that these areas are not exclusive to one another. That when the call of God, we're just working in the church. No, we're talking just as much about businessmen and businesswomen and those who God needs in every uh, fiber of society. We need people in politics. We need people in business. We need people in medicine. We need people in the church. We need them all over the place. And we're saying, God, please teach us how to live 
lives that are meaningful and full of purpose for your service. At the same time, I want to upfront remind us that often these things come in seasons of our lives. So if I think of my wife, Kate, she came to South Africa as a volunteer. That's where we met. She then went back and studied physiotherapy in the UK and qualified there and began to practice as a physiotherapist. When we had our children, she entered a new season and we both felt clearly that she should be a stay-at-home mom. And through the ups and downs of the last 12, 13 years that she's been doing that, we have to remind ourselves that God has called us to this. It's difficult sometimes. God has called us to this. He will make a way and also that this is not a permanent season for us that her season will shift that it will go into different seasons and so whatever age you are whatever phase you're in we must be asking these healthy questions of God is this where you want me for the next season what should I be preparing for for the next season that you have for me or am I going to do this for the rest of my life hopefully you get what I'm saying so there's six there's six things that I want to highlight this morning of ways that God guides us in his specific will for our lives and we're going to be as practical as we can this morning the first one is this if we are to know god's will for our specific lives we need to be asking him to help us understand increasingly the way that he sees the world god's worldview is a massive guide to us. Let me say it to you like this. The, the theologians often refer to the coming kingdom as an upside down kingdom. When Jesus came, he came with an upside down kingdom. And what that means is that he did so many things that were unexpected and completely different to how we would have done things. God didn't work in the way and he doesn't work in the way that we often anticipate. So Jesus comes and he's born into poverty. They're expecting him to be born as a king. Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to hang out with the righteous. They thought he did come to hang out with the righteous. He says, no, I came to hang out with sinners. It's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. And there's all these, these um, teachings of Jesus which begin to unpack a, a, an upside down kingdom where he says, this is what you've been taught. But I want to say something different. And he flips it around. Or he says, you've been taught to have revenge. I teach you turn the other cheek, etc., etc. And so we've got to begin to understand that God's kingdom is not our kingdom. And we constantly, like a, like a bowling ball, we have a, a bias. We always drift towards our kingdom and our way of thinking and we have to ask God continually bring us back to your way of thinking otherwise we will not see clearly what it is that God wants to do in the world and that means we will not see clearly how our our specific will or our purpose fits into God's purpose let me give you some examples here in in our worldview who is the centerpiece of the world more it's me it's me. I'm the centerpiece. I'm the most important. Everything should revolve around me. God's worldview says, no, you're not the center at all. You're not even close. Jesus Christ is the center. His purposes, his plans are the center. In a more practical example, in our worldview, profit is the driving 
the driving factor in the purpose for business and industry. It's the bottom line. We've got to talk about the bottom line. Who's made how much money? That's the purpose of business. In God's worldview, generosity comes into the center of why we should do business. In His view, we should employ as many people as we can, meaningfully employ. In His view, we should give money away. We should laugh at it. And we should be giving it away wherever we can. Generosity. If you look at that with the worldly lens, you will never, ever, ever reach that conclusion. It's only when God begins to give you His worldview that you realize there's much more to my business than simply storing up wealth for me and my family and the bonds that we can create, as another scripture speaks about. In our worldview, many things are hurt by our pursuit of gain. Just think about what's happening with the planet right now because of men and women's greed. Think about how people are treated as commodities. Many, many people are deeply hurt on a daily, minute-by-minute basis because of the greed in the world right now. That's the worldview. In God's worldview, many are helped. They aren't hurt. They are being helped. In our worldview, it's okay to stretch the truth a little bit, just just a few white lies, um, or, or hide a few hide a few commission percentage points here or there because we really need the sale. And in our worldview, it's okay to do that. In God's worldview, He says no. Truth and integrity are higher than whether you're going to make your month end target or whether you're going to have enough money for your family at the end of the month. He says, be honest, be truthful. I'll look after you. I'll care for you. Trust me. Don't trust in your system. That's a completely different worldview. Completely different worldview. And so what we need to log here is that vocations, industries, certain ways of running businesses, certain careers, they're not always neutral. That some of these things displease God. Some of the way these things are done displease God. And so that helps guide us because we can look at our industry, we can look at what we're trying to achieve, and we can say, God, I can see that I should change career here, or I could rather go into that career, etc. I hope that makes sense. But that's the first big thing that we need to ask him to change our worldview. And here's a question I'd love you to write down. How does what I spend my life doing, how does that shape up through God's worldview lens? If we had to put God's lens on it, what would we think? What would he think? Or maybe you're not at that point yet and so you're still asking Questions around what degree to study or what career to pursue. And you can ask the same thing. God, what does that look like through your lens? The second area of guidance for us is what does Scripture say around true need versus my need? Versus my need. And and earlier on, I was speaking about how God does extraordinary work through ordinary people. I don't know if there's something more radical, something more out there, something more extraordinary than the work that God does in our lives to bend us toward true need and away from our need, my need. So there's a few there's a few thoughts I have here that, that are our defaults. I would say some of our defaults are things like comfort. Some of our defaults are things like ease, having an easy life. Some of our defaults are things like wealth. And definitely one of them is security. 
is that we want to feel safe and, and secure. And so God comes and he says, look, I know those are your needs. And this is in the my needs category. But I want to begin to bend you away from those things towards a place where you see what true need is in the world. I want you to pursue a career that doesn't just follow the my needs category, but looks at the world and says, man, what are the true needs that are going on? And that is a guidance from God. And it leaves us often deeply uncomfortable, deeply uneasy, uh, a lot poorer than we would have been if we pursued the other career. And often without earthly security to call our own. We don't have these, these, these things to cling to. And our bank manager says, your financial planning is not good. And we say, well, we want to be wise, but actually we feel that God's called us to something different here. And he's called us to live for true need rather than to gear our whole lives around my need. And this is, guys, I want to just, this is a radical act of God and the Holy Spirit in the hearts of men and women. This is an extraordinary thing that God is doing. And it's a major signpost on a quest for how to spend our lives. And when I use that phrase, I mean it in the true sense of spending, of, of pouring out your life, of putting it as a sacrifice before God. I remember Pete, who, who used to lead NewGen, would say to us, he says, I, he'd say, I, I don't want to know where you serve. I want to know where you bleed. Where is your blood being poured out? Where does this cost you? Where is it that you're pouring out your life? And it's, it's a major guide for us to ask God, what is true need? And is what I'm doing leaning toward true need or toward my need? Think of verses like, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 39, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think of Micah. Lord, what is it you require of me? I require you to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. I think of Matthew 28 verse 19, Jesus' commission to his disciples. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to tell them about me. I want you to, decide, I want you to disciple them and, and teach them. I want you to baptize them. And when we look at these things, we say, God, you want me to love my neighbor as myself? Do you know how much I love myself? We want the benefit for us. We want the biggest piece of chocolate cake. We want the biggest savings account. We want the, uh, the affirmation and the acclaim and the celebrity status and God says that stuff you want for yourself I want you to want that for somebody else man that's uncomfortable that makes me uneasy that doesn't protect my security at all when he comes and says I want you to go and tell everybody God do you know how embarrassing it would be for me to tell my family about you do you know what it would look like how unprofessional it would be in my workplace if I began talking to people about Jesus and about why he makes such a big difference in my life exactly he's bending us away from our needs our reputation, our desire for affirmation. And he's saying, there's true needs out there. People need me. People need to hear about me. Put your needs aside. And he bends us toward true needs. And that's a wonderful guiding principle for what he wants us to do specifically with our lives. So ask yourself some of these questions. Is my career inclining me towards selfishness? Is my 
the place, the time, the energy that I pour into this, the, the most important things in my life, are they inclining me towards serving God and serving the needs of the world or just towards my own comfort, ease, wealth and security? Ask yourself the question, does what I am doing or what I plan to do, if you haven't got there yet, does it aim toward meeting true needs or just caring for my own needs? I think you've got this one. Let's go on to number three. Number three is that we need to look to our God-given gifts and abilities. Inside of us, God has placed abilities that are unique to us, or there's others who have them, but these things are indicators to us of how God has made us, which are clear signs of how perhaps He wants to use us in our lives. And we'll put some caveats in there just now. But let's read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. Paul writing, the same Paul we were reading about just now, his incredible salvation. And he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Log that. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, or another word for encourages, let him encourage or let him exhort, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, with strength, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So do your acts of mercy, but do them with cheerfulness and with, and with joy in your heart. Now let's, let's have a few little drop down points here within this point from, from Romans. The first one is this, we are made differently. I love this text, how it highlights how we one body, but many members and each member has its own role to play and that God has given us different gifts according to the grace. He just couldn't be clearer that God has designed us differently. I remember some years ago sitting and having a conversation with a very passionate young woman who was passionate about social justice and social change and was, was questioning the role of the church and all of that. And I think these are good questions, but she was doing it in a very accusatory way, in a very like, you should have joined the, the topless march that we did, literally. And I, I don't think it's a blessing for the world to see me toplessly walking anyway. I don't think it's a blessing for anyone in the world to see that, but that's, that's beside the point. But the point was she was trying to uh, force a very specific way of thinking and doing justice upon me. And I remember at some point in the conversation, I said to her, hey, listen, why don't you preach on Sunday? Why don't, why don't I give you 35 minutes and you preach from clearly from God's word? Could you unpack the scripture for us? And immediately she began to backpedal and said, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm afraid to speak in public. I couldn't do that. that that's not you know, what I'm called to. So I, I then rammed home the point and I said, so why are you trying to take the gift of mercy and justice that God has placed in your heart and trying to ram that down my throat when you won't pick up the gift that God has given me to teach his word. And we have to have a grace here and a mutual understanding that we come with different gifts. And that doesn't exclude me from having to think about mercy and thinking about justice. But it does mean that I don't spend every minute of every day with that beating in my heart. It's not a strong gift that God has placed in me. But thank God that He's placed it in someone else. 
Thank God that we're not all teachers, that we're not all preachers, or that we're not all mercy gifts, but that He's given leadership and prophecy and those who are, are who need to go into business. And that's their God-given calling, that they would be generous and contribute to His kingdom and, and to those who are in need. Thank God for those things. And so we need to have a grace toward one another. The second little drop-down point here, when we're speaking about let God, let God show us his, our God-given abilities, is that I want you to notice that so many of these things, not just here in the Romans text, but in the other texts that speak about gifts and strengths and these things that God has given us, are applicable not just in the church. They're applicable at home. They're applicable in the marketplace. If you're a stay-at-home mom struggling with, with your calling and struggling with the season of life and feeling that you're not getting the affirmation that you had in the marketplace, I want you to know that these gifts that God has given us, gifts of encouragement that we can encourage, perhaps the greatest person you could ever encourage is your children. Perhaps the greatest leadership you could ever exercise is in your home. Perhaps the greatest mercy that you could ever give with cheerfulness would be in the midst of the puke and the nappies and the everything else that staying at home demands of you. We need to know that these things are not second-rate callings. That those who are called to the church, ooh, they're in the top bracket. Those who are called to business or home or, or, or politics, they're in the second or the third or the fourth or the fifth bracket. No, God has called us differently. And these gifts outwork themselves in our different spaces. And God's given us different skills. Different inclinations, different mental capacity, different uh, stress capacities, different emotional strengths. Some of us love solitude. Some of us love being with crowds. God has made us so differently and I'm so grateful. And I want to encourage us listening today, embrace the differences that God has placed inside of us. God has designed us like this. To be more specifically used or more effectively used in certain things than in others. Let's not be coy. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any gifts. It doesn't serve God in any way. It's not godly in any way. Look and say, God, teach me. Show me. Show me how you've wired me. Show me what, I'm, what I love. Show me the desires. Show me the giftings and the ability you've placed in me. And let me use them for your purposes. Now, let me give us one quick warning here. That I think there's a bit of a pitfall here, yeah, quite a significant pitfall that sometimes this can lead us to thinking, God, should I only do what I feel at home doing? Well, I think that's a, a big mistake that if we think I'm only going to do what my gift set perfectly fits and um, I'm only going to do what makes me feel most fulfilled. I think just looking at the population of South Africa and that 90, 90 plus percent of our people get up every day and they don't have this choice in front of them. It reminds us and teaches us that it's not only those who have the ability to work in the perfect set of God's gifts for their lives who are fulfilling the purpose of God for their lives. Many have to get up and put food on the table and they have to do anything they can to do that. And in so doing, they are fulfilling the purpose of God to care for their family while they are here. We look at the wonderful teacher that history is and we see that men and women have done remarkable things who have not been excessively gifted in those areas. They've simply done them because no one else would pick it up and do it. No one else had the time or the inclination to do it and so they have picked it up and done it. So I want to say 
It's good to recognize that God is, is using it as a signpost to, for our gifts and our abilities. And we don't have to be embarrassed that we, if we are in the percentage of people who can use our gifts in a more shaped way and a more fulfilling way. We can do that. But don't overemphasize this because history and common sense and what we experience right now has taught us that it's not the same for everyone. So let me ask two questions for you to write down here. The first one is this. Are you grace-filled toward other gifts? Are you grace-filled? Are you grace-filled to those who don't have the same strength gift in you? If you're full of mercy, I see so often people who are full of mercy and and want to act justice in the world can bring such a, a judgmental lens to others that they shut down the conversation. Don't do that. Don't do that. Whatever your gifting is, are we, are we filling it up with grace and asking God to fill us up with grace? And then the second one is, are we clear on what God has called us to in, in terms of what He's placed inside of us? Do we have a, a good handle on our abilities and our gifts? And so as we finish answering those questions, I want to, I want to finish this morning, but I'll, I'm really praying that it doesn't finish here for you. That it's not just a little exercise of answering a few questions, but that God is deeply getting inside our hearts and working inside of our hearts. The other three points of guidance we're going to speak about next week, um, but I just want to, I want to really encourage you to remember that we are called because of the bigger picture, because God in His grace has stepped in and rescued us and saved us and taken us from a purposeless um, existence of going toward hell and placing us inside Jesus and saying, no, you're resurrected to life. You're going to be glorified with me. You're going to live forever, worshiping me forever. And because of that, I've saved you. Now I'm working on you. So even within our calling, the questions we want to keep reminding ourselves of these Russian dolls is that they, they're encased one within the other, that as God is working working out our specific calling with us so he is sanctifying us so he is filling us with the spirit and we need the spirit to do these things effectively so he is teaching us to embrace suffering to embrace serving for his purposes for his kingdom that we are called to embrace surrender say not your will but mine and that we're called to live thankful lives over all of these things we're saying thank you god that you've called me. Thank you for what you've called me to. So let's end there. Let me pray for us as we finish. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the work that you do in our hearts. Would you come and change us? Would you come and shift our worldview to see things as you see them? Come and show us this upside down kingdom, Father, where we want to live for for your truth, for your ways, and not just for my way, but that you're teaching us to be bent away from our priorities and our preferences toward the things that you want to do in our life. Would you come and do that, Father? And then would you fill us with an ability to clearly see what you've placed, what gifts you've placed inside of us, what ability you've placed inside of us, and to have so much grace one to another in the body of Christ for different gifts, a variety of gifts. We thank you for that and we praise you for that in the wonderful name of our Jesus. Amen. Guys, love you. God bless you. We'll be with you again next week.